It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Stan Dryav and Nick Braccia. Welcome to the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia on deck to talk about last week's UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Rockic. And of course, we're going to get into this weekend's UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Sakai. Nikolai, what is up, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Pretty fucking well. So my winning streak ended, man. My winning streak ended because we had a tie. But I'm okay with that because I picked perfectly. I guess you did too. I mean, you know, broken clocks right twice a day. But <laughs> while my uh, my winning streak isn't over really, I mean, it was a tie. So let's say I'm still the reigning defending, but you didn't lose. And that's a moral victory. So congratulations for not losing. Nick, I just want to inform you once again, this seems to be a constant theme here where I have to remind you time and time again that I have 12 points and you have eight points, which means that I am the champion and you're you know, starting to catch up a little bit after an abysmal performance in the first two quarters. How many ties do we have? Four? Probably six. I thought we had six. Okay, so you actually have more non-victories than you do victories. That makes me feel great. That's like a warm donut. Sure, sure. Whatever makes you feel good. But I do have 50% more event wins than you do. But in any case, Nick, the important thing is that you copied most of my picks. You went in here undefeated with me. What? I carried you through. Congratulations, buddy. I co- I did I did not copy your picks. I had co- cogent analysis. Oh, absolutely. I can't find a single other MMA odds maker, picker, journalist who got every goddamn pick on this event right, Nick. So we fucking killed it. Nick, I have some other news. I started a new page on the betting segment that we do at the end of this podcast. You recommended this. You said start at $300 and then see where that takes you. Nick, I did that. And it went so fucking well, Nikolai. So- Wait a minute. I was, spo- I was supposed to throw money into that, and it was going to be like a fund. How come this started? I didn't hear about this. I didn't well, get any papers to sign. That's what happens when you can't make it to the betting segment, Nick. You're a busy man. But it's not too late, Nick. If you want to jump on the bandwagon, I'm open to it. I do want to quickly say this, Nick. Of the $300 that we have in the fund now for this betting experiment that we're doing, I put up $200 for this event. And Nick, every single bet hit, and it made a profit of $271, which means we started off at $300. That's amazing. I know. We're now at $571. That's like almost a 200% profit. Uh, it is a 135% return on investment, but you're right that I almost doubled our $300 that we started with. Wait, you bet 200 to win 270. You didn't take home exactly. 270. And, okay, got it, got it. Oh, no, no. I took home 270. I got my 200 back, and then I took home 270 is how it works. So just profits oh, for $271. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Every bet hit, Nick. I, I recommended a bunch of parlays. And here's what else I recommended. I recommended Viana by submission at plus 424, Nick. I can't believe they made that available. I made that call. Just oh, saying. For, for sure. I hope you, you, throw, were, hope you throw five bucks my way or something. I thought something was up. I see on, I see on Instagram you got a new boat. You got some Varney sunglasses. I see your your wife your your wife's wearing your wife's wearing furs. It's like that's right. I knew something was up this week. I can't believe I didn't realize you started the fund without me. Nick, the two hundred seventy one dollars is the difference maker between that mink coat and that fake ship from H and M. It's the difference between a yacht and a rowboat, Nick. And and here we are. It's the difference between. It's really the difference between Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Hey, I love Trader Joe's. 
I do too, but I'm a, I'm a T, I'm more of a TJ man than a Whole Foods guy. You would be. Who needs all that fancy soap and shit at Whole Foods? Fuck. Well, that. I didn't know Whole Foods had fancy soap. I've been to Whole Foods once or twice. No, just kidding. I haven't been to Whole I Foods. Heard, Nick. They don't. I heard they anymore. walked. They walked you out. I was gonna say they walked you out. Yeah, they barely <laughs> let me to Trader Joe's. They tell me to go to Aldi. Fuck. Nice. Nikolai, UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Rockich. We got every goddamn pick correct in the main event. Alexander Rockich absolutely dominated Anthony Smith. He was generally risk-averse. He didn't take a whole lot of chances. And against the guy that has come back and beaten guys that were beating the shit out of him, I kind of get where Rockich is coming from. The only real kind of admonishment that I'll throw Rockich's way is over the way that he got up 10 seconds before the fight ended, started celebrating. It's not a good look. Yeah, he said he did that for the fans or that he deserved it. or he, Yeah, I mean, that was, go- that was goofy. You know what they always say, right? Act like you've been there before. Word up, Nick. And yeah, look, Rockets dominated the guy. He landed kicks at will. He took him down at will. He dominated him there. And by the way, that's where Anthony Smith said that, you know, he would have the big advantage. Anthony Smith is a journeyman and Alexander Rockets is a serious contender. And I think the fight played out to kind of show us exactly that. And I am very happy for Rockets. I like him being in the top five. I thought Smith looked. I thought Smith looked re- like uh, under muscled in this fight compared to his other bouts. He did. I don't know. He was standing there. I was like, this guy used to occur to me as like just a big, a big tough looking dude. He looked very lean up top. Um, he did not seem strong in any aspect of the fight. Like his ki- his his leg kicks seemed okay, but. Not like, you know, it was the difference. It's like when you see a guy, you see a bat fly off of a baseball, you know, at 90 miles an hour, and then you see Giancarlo Stanton hit one and the, and the ball flies off at 120 miles an hour. Like, Ray Kick's leg kicks were just on another level compared to Smith's. And he just, it was not, it was not a really a fun fight to watch, not just because Ray Kick played it a little bit safe, but it was just, it was totally dominant. And I would argue that. And with the exception of maybe one uppercut that didn't even really seem to phase Rakic, is uh, Smith wasn't in this fight at, for a second. No, he really wasn't. I don't think Smith is, was ever truly elite. I think beating no. up a couple no. of really, really old men in the first several seconds of a fight worked out for him. He's extremely dangerous when he is moving forward. He doesn't choose to move forward a lot. Um, on the back foot when he's moving backwards or using lateral movement, he sucks. He doesn't counter well. He doesn't really do anything from there. But when he's sprinting at you, you are in danger. And, uh, you know, he never really sprinted here. He never really pushed forward. I think a lot of it has to do with what he's been going through lately, getting roughed up by Glover Teixeira. Uh, now going into this fight, he got dominated. I mean, I think the days of calling uh, Anthony Smith a contender are over. But, again, I, I want to celebrate Alexander Rakic. I know that he came off a little goofy. I happen to think he's a really good guy. I happen to think he's extremely like athletic. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that he he like he talked in the post-fight press conference about how you know this was a statement win. I don't know if it was that. But he dominated a former light heavyweight contender. And I would say he dominated him worse than uh, John Jones did, especially in the first three rounds. Yeah, so, there's a, you know, de- definitely. And there's a, I mean, there's an obvious fight. Right, there's an obvious fight against Jiri uh, Perzaska, who oh, man. beat, who who in a really fun fight defeated the extremely Volkan capable Volkan Ozdemir, a guy that I I love. Who I I don't want to say he's got a bum rap, but it's just like he was right on the cusp, right yeah. on the cusp of uh, of the elite, and you know, great technique, great fighter, and very very tough, and just got slept. So like yeah. that's the fight. That's the fight to make. I mean, I'm into it, Nick. 
I would love to see that matchup. Two extremely athletic men from the Eastern European portion of the world. Uh, I would love to see it. That's where like the true heavyweights are come from, Nick. I'm fascinated by that matchup. I would absolutely love to see it. In the meantime, maybe let's have Nikita Krylov rough up Anthony Smith next, I suppose. Uh, I, I'm not really uh, not really that uh, focused on I, Anthony Smith's ugh, career. I don't point. know what his contract is, but Anthony Smith has talked about how like, yeah, he says he's one of those guys that's caught between weight classes. And, um, you know, he says he can't cut to 185, but he felt very weak uh, compared to Rakic. And uh, Also, Rakic is a particularly powerful man. He's a large man. And Yeah. And, I mean, and I think the best place for Anthony Smith is Bellator. I think so, actually. That's an excellent point. I'm not sure how close he is to the end of his contract. He can fight in light heavyweight in Bellator and make, make good money and be in competitive bouts. I agree. Although the very top of that Bellator division will, you know, the top two guys will still smash him. Uh, I think, especially this iteration of Anthony Smith. But you're right. That's where you know his name can carry a little more value, can bring him a little more income, a little bit more personalized attention from the promotion, and he'll get a couple of gimme fights uh, if he, you know, forms the right relationship with Scott Coker before he has to get smashed by their champion. So I'm I'm there with you. Uh, yeah, it just seems like Anthony Smith doesn't really have a whole lot to offer unless after dominating him for a couple of rounds, his opponent gets completely exhausted. That's where he shines. Or if he's fighting a Shogun or a Rashad Evans who doesn't really have much of a chin left, who, you know, can't really recover very well, and he just, like, nicks him in the first few seconds of a fight. Those are Anthony Smith fights. That's how they go. Outside of that, let's face it, he, unless an opponent is exhausted or extremely fragile, Anthony Smith does not generally look good. Um, he was a journeyman at 185, and he turned out to be a journeyman here as well. Let's zip through the rest of the card. Yeah, depre- it's super de- super depressing fight if you're a Robbie Lawler fan. I happen to be a Neil Mag- Magny fan, and this fight went uh, exactly as I thought it would. You thought Neil Magny would Khabib him? I thought that Neil Magny's uh, output and pressure would uh, overwhelm Lawler. And and the, there was always the danger. There was always the danger that Lawler could land a shot. But as I said last week, Lawler's striking isn't as explosive as like a Lorenz Larkin or some of the guys who have hurt Magny before. Um, and he's a be- and Magny's a better fighter now. Like Lawler has that explosion. Um, eh. He just doesn't use it. He just hasn't used it ever since Usada came into play. It seems like he has that. Well, he has that kind of explosion, like with you know, with an overhand. You know, with he's not with a flying like with a, head kick. Nick, have you seen this man's career? He's extremely well. Yeah, explosive. like that's a long time ago, though. Like, yeah, it's, I hear that. The yeah. when when is when is Robbie Lawler? You know, it's been a couple of years since he's thrown anything really scary besides a, a haymaker and he didn't even really throw very many haymakers um, not at all he wasn't able to he he was stuck to Neil Magny I think uh, Robbie Lauder made the huge mistake of going right into the grappling mode with him he clinched him and tried to take him down and Neil Magny was able to reverse that and then that made Neil realize holy shit like I have a big advantage in the wrestling and grappling department that's all I gotta do and there's no danger and yeah. Neil, like Lawler literally came into that fight gave his opponent the perfect game plan and then continued to just lay there while he got thrashed. Good times. Yeah, and he got outstruck too. I mean, Mag- you know, Magny's Magny's striking's not is not bad. I mean, he's no, not, it's not. If I remember correctly, in his in his fight against uh, Tony Martin, he he hurt him in the third round. Um, so he's no he's no he's no pillow fist, but he's a vol- he's a volume guy. I like him. I don't know, you know, Neil Magny's been flirting with uh, the high end of the rankings or the higher end of the rankings for he's um, now number eleven. Nick. Yeah, he's he's been on the cusp of the top ten, maybe even getting a little bit higher than that um, bef- before he got busted himself. 
um, and took a little bit of a break. You know, is he ever going to be top five? Maybe. I just, I don't, I just don't see his strengths right now matching up particularly well against Usman or Covington. I've got the matchup for him, Nick. You ready? Neil Magny, Stephen Thompson. I think Thompson just signed a fight. Oh, did he? Um, yeah, he's fight. It's it's, it's Neil it's Magny, an one. Michael Chiesa. That's a good fight. Neil Magny, Vincente Luque. I think any of those will work. Yes. I think they're all fascinating, and they're all great situations where each guy will test the other, and the winner of that can come out you know, on the very higher end of that top 10, looking really good and having passed that test. I think that holds a lot of value. But yeah, I mean, he look, it wasn't a terribly exciting fight because Robbie Lawler didn't put up a fight. I mean, I guess that goes for both the main event and the co-main event. Maybe that's why a lot of people remember this card as being somewhat boring. But uh, yeah, look, Neil Magny looked really good here. I didn't think he won his last fight against Anthony Rocco Martin, but Anthony Rocco Martin is, you know, a quality fighter at this point in his career. Robbie Lawler, unfortunately, is not. We have Alexa Grasso, who picked up a pretty clear-cut decision win over G. Yuen Kim. Nick, it was, look, uh, G actually looked faster than I remember her. She came in in better shape than ever before. I expected her to be much slower, and she was just slower here. Uh, Alexa Grasso was able to, to land her shots. He got She got top position, I believe, a couple of times. Uh, Kim's wrestling defense really sucks. And uh, we had us a pretty good scrap there. Good on Alexa Grasso to make her 125-pound debut. You got any thoughts on that one, buddy? Uh, no, you know, Grasso, I think Grasso's for real. I think we know what her Achilles heel is. Um, but I think she's going to have a lot of success at, at this weight class. She's a terrific striker. Agreed. And uh, Grasso's post-fight interview, I think, was really endearing. She, uh, like, it was a good moment for her. I think she could be really likable. She's a bright well put together young lady um she's got you know mexico behind her presumably if if the ufc can push her a little bit and she's a really skilled girl she's like she's a high level boxer for mma for women's mma anyway she's a high level boxer and she just came off of competing in the toughest women's division in the ufc coming up to one of the weakest divisions i think she can make a run here i think she could look good maybe even make her way possibly up to a title shot i mean it's not like it takes a lot at 125 pounds um ricardo lamas nick came away with a decision win and possibly his retirement fight it was the fight of the night nick he i talked uh leading up to this fight in last week's episode in our brilliant prediction episode nick i talked about how bill algio is a good kicker and if if lamas is going to stay standing with a much taller solid kicker he's going to be in some trouble and that's exactly how it happened he didn't really go for enough takedowns he didn't uh reshoot he didn't wasn't able to hold Bill Algio down until that third round, and it made for a really rough 10 minutes before Lamas was able to dominate in the final five minutes against the late replacement. Yeah, I mean, again, Lamas is one of those guys who was on the cusp of, uh, you know, the cusp of greatness and could never seem to really win the big one. Um, at the same time, you got a guy taking a late-notice fight who acquitted himself very well. And uh, we'll certainly, you know, I'm excited to see, let's put it this way. I'm excited. I'm more excited to see Bill's next fight than to see Lamas fight again. Oh, yeah, that's pretty safe. And, and Lamas did say that he's probably going to retire. I think this is his best-case scenario. He's coming off of a couple of, like, hard losses, right? Calvin Cater knocked him out. Mersad Bektik won that close decision, but he also got knocked out by Josh Emmett. Um, he already had his title shot against Max Holloway. So I think 2-1 and one leading into your retirement from MMA is about as good a situation as it gets, especially when your last fight was a win. So good on Ricardo Lamas, but yeah, the, the guy's a fraction of what he was, man. Like skill wise, Bill Algio is not super, uh, he's not super strong. He's not a good grappler. Like 
Lama should have been smart enough and been able to take him down early and, and do his thing, but uh, but he he didn't. Um, I do want to quickly talk about Impa uh, Kasanganai, Nikolai, who looked really good against Maki Pitolo. Maki looked good early, and Impa just kind of took over, started landing bombs. One of the reasons I picked him is because of his counter game and the fact that he stays consistent throughout a through round fight. He doesn't slow down. He He's consistent on the counter. He throws bombs the entire time. And if you put him in a rough spot, he's only going to come back and want to get you back. So really impressive stuff by him. Zach Cummings with that third round, last second head kick, which dropped Alessio DiCerico. I thought that made all the difference to give Cummings the decision. Alex Caceres ran through a late replacement, you know, almost not really UFC level fighter in Austin Springer, although, you know, we got to give him a chance with a full training camp we'll see sean brady serious serious prospect dominated christian aguilera uh absolutely dominated him and and got him out of there in the second round with a guillotine choke and poliana viana mallory martin both came away with finishes in their bouts against emily whitmire and hannah cyphers respectively mallory martin some, ex- Nick, some holy exciting shit. stuff yeah well, some exciting some exciting stuff here i mean uh impa uh oh god here we go again <laughs> i'm not helping you because <laughs> uh impa uh God damn it. Kasangani. Kasangani. Kasangani, yeah. Kasangani um, looked awesome. Can't wait yeah. to see him fight again. A little bit of a headhunter, but still just great, great poise, um, real power shots. And he took a few lumps early in the first, but man, once he unloaded and had Patolo up against the cage, he looked fantastic and was in control for the rest of it. Zach Cummings, you know, crafty as they come. And uh, he's just, that guy, he, fear, he fears nothing. Uh, and he waited for his moment. It just came at four fifty nine in the third, um, oh, which joke. took, which made it, which made kind of a strategic, sort of boring, uh, an ugly fight, uh, pretty exciting at the end. Uh, yeah, Sean when you Brady, have two counter strikers, that's often the case. Yeah, Sean Brady, guy to watch. Uh, Viana did uh, did what we thought she might, although a lot of people picked against her. Probably won't see my girl Hannah again, and she had a shot, man. She was so close, so close. Um, Landed. I mean, we all know that she's got power. Honestly, yeah. the right place for her. I would love to see her go into um, bare knuckle. Into exactly go into bare knuckle <laughs> and and just ru- and like knock Paige Van Sant's clock in her first like you know mil- first fight of her million oh, dollar Nick, contract. That would be fucking great. I, I would. I would that's where Hannah. That's like where that. Hannah belongs. She belongs in bare knuckle. I'm into that, Nick. Uh, Hannah Cyphers lands that bomb on Paige. Paige sees stars. I could see that being dramatic, uh, fun stuff to watch. But yeah, Mallory Martin, man, did not look good in that first. She, it's it's almost like her coaches told her like get some rounds in, get some time in. This is a good girl to test your stand up against, and that was the wrong fucking advice. Hannah Cyphers landed a fucking bomb. And here's the thing, Mallory Martin's toughness, both like allowed her to survive and actually make it to a point where she could win. But it also made Hannah Cyphers exhaust herself in trying to finish her, and man, that that was <laughs> that was really impressive. And the short notice thing for Hannah Cyphers obviously made this a death knell, right on top of the fact that she uh, was trying to finish and dumped all of her energy in that first round. So yeah, and really, she didn't make weight for the first fighter to get four losses in a calendar year, and it's only you know September. And you know what, August, Nick? It would be happened. it would be your girl. It would be like somebody that you decided to follow as she. Uh, early I, you on know that you know, you know that I like I like classy, charming, understated martial artists. Yes, sir. Yes, you do. And and for the record, she seems like a a, a solid person. Just there's really no facial expressions, and sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night in fear with her face. 
in my. I think uh, she's just. I think she's just a shy farm kid. You know. But, yeah, uh, I think. I think. I think you're absolutely right. She. She seems like good people. She's just not a quality MMA fighter. I think she's good standing up. She's got a rock solid fucking right hand at 115 pounds. Who hits like that, Nick? Nobody. It's insanity. So yeah, a good card overall, Nikolai. Let's take a break. Come back. Preview this weekend's card coming up, Nick, in which we have Overeem going up against our boy Augusto Sakai. Back on the MMA Geek Seal of a Podcast, and Nick and I are going to get into our draft picking system. That is what a lot of the show is kind of based on. We each take turns picking fighters that are competing on the upcoming card, and whoever walks away with the most winning fighters at the end of Saturday night ends up winning that week. I've got 12 points, 12 event wins to Nick's eight at this point. We have a bunch of draws mixed in there. Nikolai, uh, which one of us has the first pick this time, Nick? I think it's me because your first. Wait a minute, because your first pick got canceled last time, right? Well, you actually you actually took Sean Brady, Nick. You had the first pick last time, which leaves me the first pick this I time. I did. Yeah, you took Sean I Brady. You and- picked, I thought you picked. I uh, got the guy that was fighting uh, Ian Kutalaba. I, I did pick him, but I was the second picker. I remember oh, you're he, right. I didn't pick it because I was worried something would happen. Okay. Right, and <laughs> fucking spot on, Nick. Shit, and that not work out exactly that way. Right. Um, yeah, so my first pick, Nick, and this is a bit of a tough one. I guess I will go with Brian Kelleher to beat Kevin Natin- Navidad. Uh, Navidad basically has, like, he's athletic, right? He looks like a fucking action figure. He has a crazy hair. He looks like he could literally be a Street Fighter character. Um, and he has serious power on that right hand. But all he throws is a cross and a cross hook. I've literally not seen this man throw a single other thing in any of the two fights that I've watched. Uh, Brian Kelleher is certainly crafty enough to to avoid that. It's possible that he can get caught, but Kelleher's never been knocked out. And uh, I expect Kelleher to pick up a submission win here in the first six or seven minutes. I think even standing up, he should have a pretty good edge over this UFC debutante. Yeah, I uh, this is going to be one of my early picks. I really like Kelleher. He's a He's a he's a crafty sob, um, and I feel like he'll find I feel like he'll find his way to a choke, uh, most likely in this fight. Um, and I'm actually gonna in my first pick I'm going to take a guy who lost to Brian Keller in his in his last fight. I'm gonna pick <laughs> I'm gonna pick uh, the tough looking uh, Hunter Azure out of the fully stacked and loaded MMA lab uh, to defeat the Canadian um, uh, Cole Smith who just it's one of those like you know Smith's track record his his club he he fights out of he fights out of out of Thailand um I just don't think I haven't seen a lot of proof I mean he had a, he had a victory against against Mitch Gagnon um and then lost to lost to Miles Johns I don't uh I don't see a lot in in Cole Smith's game that's going to give Hunter Azure much trouble what do you think yeah, I'm there with you. Cole Smith is basically just kind of a grinder. He takes your back and just holds on for the rest of the round. 
not really any strong takedown attempts, no serious ground and pound. So there's not a whole lot of danger for Azur in that position. But also Azur has shown that he has really good wrestling. He throws guys around. He has serious power in his hands. I know he got caught in his last fight, but I like him in this matchup. He's more dynamic. He's more dangerous standing. I think his wrestling should uh, allow him to avoid most of Smith's takedowns. And I think Azur should be able to either catch a bomb or Smith is super tough. Uh, I think Azur can win a decision. But this one was a little bit more risky for me, to be honest with you, because I think Cole Smith, like he's a quality fighter he's not super dynamic but he's he gets generally gets results and and so i like you know i, I see the odds being a little bit too lopsided here but i do also favor hunter asher nick my next yeah. pick well i was gonna make last thing i was gonna say was i mean hunter mm-hmm. asher has has a win and it was on tough over um over Bra- oh wait no not tough he had a regular win against brad katona a guy that beat bryce mitchell on yeah tough yeah that's so impressive i just think yeah i just think we're i think he's a slightly higher level ufc prospect yeah, I'm there with you. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be in a complete pick'em matchup. Nick, I'm going to take Alexander Already with the pick'ems. That's for, oh, for, first of all, the rest of these fights, odds-wise, are pick'ems. But I'm picking uh, w- w- one of the, uh, I think, one of the more closely contested on the odds maker side, at least. I'm picking Alexander King Kong Romanov to dominate Marcos Damn Rogerio it. de Lima Pizal. That, that was my next pick. I like it. DeLima is very experienced. He's powerful. He's a former light heavyweight. He hits hard and can be aggressive when he's fresh, and he's got a good top game. But he doesn't really have much heart, and he gets gassed by the middle of the fight. He he hasn't finished his opponent by then, but he does have serious power in that right hand, which like often allows him not to get that far in a fight. Romanov is 11-0. He's large. He's fast. He's explosive. He's an excellent wrestler and grappler. Uh, he kind of has this pressure grappling game. Excellent ground and pound. The man has grit and ferocity when punishing opponents. He's not unlike Khabib in a lot of ways, except that Romanov flows crazy flying kicks and flying knees and that kind of stuff. Like It's insane how athletic this man is at his size. His stand-up isn't very deep. Like He doesn't have a very deep level of, of Muay Thai or boxing. He's fast and explosive, so he tends to land, but he can get jabbed on the way in. He finished all 11 of his opponents, so he's not used to going into the third round, and he will be tired if it goes that late. Um, I know... The Lima can hit hard, like he, he he's a bomb thrower, right? But I like Romanov to take the Lima down and dominate. It might look sloppy late if they go into the third round because both will be absolutely exhausted. But I think the first two rounds will be exciting. Romanov is the kind of guy that when he's dominating, it's fucking fun to watch, and you don't want to turn your head away. And that's rare. Most people, when they're dominating, it's you know pretty one sided. It's lackadaisical. This man is a monster. Um, Delima has thirty six percent takedown defense and a bad gas tank, and that's not a good combination against what could be the heavyweight Khabib. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that pick. Looks like we're so far in pretty tight agreement. I suspect you're going to agree with me on this next one too. I'm going to pick uh, the Brazilian Vivian Araujo uh, to defeat the American Montana De La Rosa. Uh, we might see some good jits in this fight. I mean, uh, De La Rosa is, is considerably taller. I think at least a couple of inches. Let me see here. Uh, five seven to what's Araujo? Five four. Yeah, to five. So yep. it's three inches taller, but the reach is the same. And I think. Uh, I think Araujo's got, I think she's a blue belt. She's got good jits. Uh, De La Rosa, it seems like in her UFC career, her subs have been her go-to. She just seems kind of slow and not particularly strong to me. Um, I think even though she lost to Jessica I, that Araujo's uh, striking is uh, probably crisper. 
And I, li- I like her from a strength perspective if they do get into the scrambles and the subs start flying. So even though I think De La Rosa is ranked uh, above her, I see this as, as an Arojo fight. And that, worth mentioning, De La Rosa trains at elevation, uh, which tends to have, you know, tends to have a lot of luck. Um, and from a travel perspective, is much closer to the UFC apex. But I just, uh, I don't know. I'm feeling the Brazilian here. So Arujo has this fast pot shot style, plenty of footwork early. She's got good takedown defense, but if she's taken down, she stays down. She's not trying to get up like she did against Alexis Davis in that second round. She tends to slow down because of her kind of high-octane offense, um, just like explosive single pop, single shots that are super fast. She's coming off of a loss to Jessica I. After clearly winning the first round, Viviana got tired, and I had the savvy to capitalize on it. De La Rosa is 4-1. Uh, her one loss is to Andrea Lee. Her wins, granted, are not exactly to high-level UFC fighters, right? She's top, solid top position grappler, solid offensive wrestling, landed eight takedowns in her last three fights, Nick. She has developing stand-up, uh, not really any power, uh, can be clipped, but is in good shape, so she tends to recover quickly. Arujo is way, way faster. She hits way harder and has much better kickboxing, but she doesn't get up if she's taken down, Nick, and she gets tired by the second round. I think De La Rosa pressures enough to get her tired early and lands enough takedowns to win a decision. This could be a very different fight if uh, than what I just described. If Arujo can simply consistently avoid the takedowns, she's going to dominate. She's so much better than De La Rosa is standing up. Um, there's a chance I might change this pick by the time fight night comes up, but as of right well, now, I like Montana you know, De La Rosa's grappling pressure. Uh, yeah, you may you might be right. The thing I want to know is, uh, first, this, this originally scheduled fight was Montana De La Rosa against Moroz. And that was canceled. So Orojo's a replacement, but I don't know when. Um, I don't know I, how. I can, I can probably tell you, Nick. My research tells me that's actually more than more than three weeks, Nick. So she's had a like in this day and age. That's about as much time as you're getting to prepare for a fight, anyway. It's not bad. Okay. All right. But well, from we'll see I, what happens. Uh, I'm going to stick my with research, it. Nick. Uh, De La Rosa got a cu- almost two months of notice. So not only is she at elevation, not only does uh, Arujo slow down, but you know Montana had literally double the preparation time for this fight. So yeah, I, I like Montana. I realize Montana's beaten shitty opponents so far, and that uh, Arujo has beaten some quality UFC opponents. But I just think the style matchup favors uh, De La Rosa as long as Arujo's conditioning is not where it should be. And I think part of it is that she now chooses to fight at 125. She doesn't have to train as hard to come down to 115, which means her conditioning is not going to be quite as good. I, I assume that's what the situation is there. But, but, but yeah, look, this could go either way. I'm there with you, buddy. My next pick is going to be, and you're going to fucking laugh at this, Nick. You're going to think I'm a madman. You ready? I already do. I already uh, think you're a madman. Oh, so I you guess better not be stealing my. You better not be stealing my next pick. I doubt I'm stealing your next pick, Nick. Uh, I, I I doubt it. I'm picking Michelle Pereira to beat oh, yeah. Zalim I wasn't, and Madaya. I wasn't touch. I wasn't touching this fight. I, that I, was I, know. A, I know. That was I, my that that was my pick. But I who knows what's gonna happen? Someone's gonna parachute into the cage. Like anything. You are not I don't, kidding, man. Anyway. Yeah, you're not kidding. Here's the thing. I'm a die of trains at Katona MMA under Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida. He's relatively inexperienced. Seven of his wins over fighters with a combined 10 and 11 record, and he's only got eight wins, Nick. 
He's known as a striker, but he's not very accurate or fast. Prefers to clinch against good strikers. Pressures, but doesn't really land very much. He's not fast. He's got a consistent right kick, which is pretty solid. Uh, he doesn't really counter when his opponents get in on him. Doesn't have great takedown defense, but a decent get-up game. He's 0-2 in the UFC, coming off of a knockout loss to Danny Roberts. And Michelle Pereira, Nick, as you know, MMA math says that he knocked out Danny Roberts. He looks like an action figure and fights like one. He's explosive. He's a hard hitter with every limb. He's got cardio issues. Uh, he's got some mental issues, fight IQ issues. I get that. He's also coming off of two losses, but the last one was due to an illegal strike that Diego Sanchez took advantage of, right? Zalima Madaev is not crafty and experienced enough to beat Michelle Pereira, and it was craft and experience that led to both of his last two losses. Diego Sanchez being crafty enough to take advantage of the illegal strike and get a disqualification win, and his fight prior to that, you know, he fought a crafty veteran and, and got out tough. Tristan, uh, Tristan, help me here. Whatever happened name. to that guy? Is he like ever? Uh, he hasn't. He hasn't. Again? He hasn't fought since. I think he wanted to go out on a high note. <laughs> I hear that. Look, uh, Pereira should have his way with Zalim. I'm very surprised at the odds here. I know that he's not reliable, but he should be a big favorite. Pereira is faster. He's more experienced. He's more accurate. He has better footwork. He's got more power and probably a better chin. And uh, yeah, this is. I think this is a great betting opportunity. I'm shocked at the odds here, Nick. It's a little. It's a little bit to fool. You know, fool me once. I mean, he's pretty. He seems like a nut job. So yeah, you but know, the guy he's fighting, I think, is like very mediocre. Like just overall very mediocre. I, the only thing good about and, him is his camp. And Diego Sanchez <laughs> was able to get a victory without really. Like, yes, without landing like a straight. Tra- like tra- yeah. Um, yeah. No all right, so I'm gonna go with the main event next. I'm gonna pick Oliver oh, uh, Alistair Overeem over Augusto Sakai. Uh, I like Sakai, even though I I thought he was kind of like BS in his last victory against um, what's his uh, blog guy of uh, Ivanov, Obama, right? Yep. It was where he, he did that. He did that cage grab. I yeah. think I mean I think he's a cool I think he's a cool heavyweight and a good prospect. I think Overeem is uh still craftier, um, can get this fight on the ground if he wants to. I think uh has has better composure and even though all heavyweights hit hard, I don't think that his that uh Sakai's level of could he knock Alistair Overeem out? Certainly. But I don't think he's got the the, the speed, the the timing, or really the craftiness uh, to land the kind of shot that's been putting Alistair down. So I think I think Overeem uh, I think Overeem can can craft his way through this one. And I think any if he can get through the first two rounds without kind of walking into a shot, I think he should be okay. Yeah, I I did end up agreeing with you about Overeem, but this was my very last pick, and that's because I'm having a real tough time with it. I, I see the reasons why each guy could win, right? Sakai is 15-1. and one. He's undefeated in the UFC at 4-0. Like, that is very impressive alone, Nick, just that one accomplishment, right? He's got one loss to Czech Congo and Bellator. He's got consistent offensive kicks, almost never initiates boxing exchanges, just kind of fakes and kicks until the opponent throws something and then he counters hard and fast. He's strong in the clinch, good striking from there, not very active early, but kind of picks the pressure up as the fight goes on. Uh, he doesn't have much power for a big man with solid striking technique, and he can get caught up in striking, uh, uh, kind of get caught up in the striking and give up a takedown because he's so focused on exchanging fisticuffs. His two UFC wins uh, over Andrei Arlovsky and Ivanov are by split decision, so there's plenty of reason to believe that you know he can fight really close with a solid veteran who is you know on the downtick of his career. 
Overeem started at 205 pounds in pride, gained 40 pounds of pure muscle, and won the K1 World Grand Prix. Came to the UFC, popped for steroids, deflated, and started losing again. Changed his style to protect his fragile chin. He's less of a berserker now and more of a tactician. Uh, pot shots or counters generally Good clinch takedowns, solid ground and pound, and a solid guillotine from there as well. He's got wins over Alexei Olenek recently, Walt Harris, Sergei Pavlovich, Verdum, and Hunt. Uh, either inexperienced prospects or like unathletic heavyweights on the downturn of their careers, I guess. He's got losses to Rosenstrike and Ganu, Blades, and Miocic. Well, let's be, he was doing great against Rosenstrike for four and a half rounds. Everybody does great against Rosenstrike until the moment he decides to hit you, to be fair. Yeah. That's that's okay. like the that's just how Rosenstrike. But I agree with you. That's just how Rosenstrike fights. That's why I had a hard time with that JDS uh, pick and Rosenstrike. At first, I thought JDS was going to be the better fighter overall, way faster. Then I realized all Rosenstrike has to do is land one strike. Uh, oh, that was another uh, that was another case of me being correct, right? And you learning a little bit from me. Uh, no, I actually changed my pick before the event happened. Next, so oh, it was another uh, case of uh, me me being well. Uh, I, me being well, I mean, you changed your you changed your pick to the case that I made on the podcast. But go ahead. Definitely not. His losses are to Rosenstrike and Ganu Blades and Miocic. Nick, the best of the best. Now, Overeem has more losses than Sakai has wins, but Overeem has three times more wins than Sakai too. Overeem has a one inch height and three inch reach advantage in this one. He should be faster. He should have more power. Sakai will have the chin advantage. There's no doubt there, right? Overeem has fought five rounds before, whereas Sakai obviously has not. Uh, Sakai picks up the pressure and gets stronger, but that's the thing. He hasn't fought in a five-rounder. How will he be able to continue that pressure in that fourth and fifth round? I wonder. Overeem has a ground game advantage, but can be. Uh, but can he take down Sakai is the question. Blagoy Ivanov did from the clinch, so it is possible. Uh, if Sakai had not held on the fence while Blagoy was taking him down, as you alluded to, he probably would have lost that decision. So I'm edging towards Overeem because Sakai hasn't shown serious power and hasn't fought five rounds. But if Sakai's conditioning and power are in place, he has what it takes to pour it on for a late stoppage or a decision. Uh, again, this is my last pick. I, I, I'm, I had some trouble with it because I don't know that it takes Sakai-level power to knock out Overeem at this point in his career. Over 25 minutes, Sakai has to land that. And I don't think Overeem's likely to just run through him like he has some of those inexperienced guy so yeah it's i a, think oh uh, yeah maybe not i think i think overing overing is going to be crafty enough to get the takedown and 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 he's going to wear him down uh from top position yeah i, I would not be surprised although the fact that he wasn't able to do much against rosenstrike on the ground kind of made me question his ability to do that or maybe his willingness to do that but he won't be afraid of uh sakai's power so that makes a difference for over uh, the fact that he, you know, w- kind of won't won't be in his own head. So my next picnic is going to be in the Jalen Turner versus Tiago Moises matchup. Mm-hmm. I I have some confidence in this one, even though I realize that it's not that simple. Turner is tall, rangy striker. He has power and speed. Hasn't responded well to resistance from his opponents in the UFC, but he lost to Matt Favola and Vincente Luque, both of whom are, in my opinion, really solid prospects. Luque is now a contender. Moises trains an American top team. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's got developed a Developing stand-up, um, but a pretty good high guard. He's hard to land clean, clean shot, shots against. He was thrown into the fire early against guys like Benil Daryush and Demir Ismagulov. He can be backed up and pressured, but continually moves even with his back against the cage, which is good. He's willing to put pull guards since his takedown game isn't great. Uh, worked against Michelle uh, Michael Johnson after getting outstruck 27 to one in the first round. Uh, so Moises has a good submission game, but Jalen is a BJJ brown belt himself. Jalen would have a huge advantage in speed, size, and striking technique. 
Moises should have the edge on the ground, but he only has 28% takedown accuracy. Jalen's takedown defense is 76%. So Jalen should be able to uh, outshine Moises while avoiding most takedowns. Pressure and KO power are his kryptonite, and Moises doesn't have either in his toolbox. Interesting. I thought uh, Moises was probably going to take this. Yeah, he's the um, he's the favorite. I don't, I don't blame you. I just watch tape and I do all my picks without looking at the odds. And sometimes I'm surprised to find myself on the other side of the odds uh, in this situation being one of them. Yeah. Well, okay. What's your next pick, buddy? Uh, I'm going to pick Carol Rosa over Sajara Eubanks. Uh, not a big Eubanks fan. I don't think she's got a great fight IQ. Um, I don't think her output's terrific. I think that she can't make the weight for where she, she's kind of caught between weight classes. Um, and I like the Brazilian Carol Rosa. I think that um, I think that she's going probably going to win based on uh, just based on output, activity, craftiness. Yeah, I, I think I'm largely there with you. Uh, Eubanks is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but so is Rosa. Rosa trains with Jessica Andrade, who in a lot of ways, if you think about it, is Sarge Eubanks, but faster and more explosive, smaller, to be fair. Um, she's got really high output. She lands 10 strikes per minute in her UFC career thus far. The problem is that she stays in the pocket and makes almost takes almost as many shots as she lands. Great cardio, great jab, mixes kicks and punches into combos well. Uh, once the opponent commits to the striking and really kind of believes that that's what Rosa wants to do, she switches it up and shoots under the opponent's strikes, stays busy on top as well, but she has been submitted twice, so there is some concern there. Eubanks has a 5-4 and four record, Nick, versus Rosa's 13-3, and three, but Eubanks is ranked at number 15. Rosa took the fight on 10 days' notice after Macy Chazon pulled out. Big step up in competition for Rosa from her first two UFC fights. Uh, Eubanks slows down and is susceptible to the jab. For that reason, I'm favoring Rosa. Rosa's got an excellent fucking jab. It's a fucking piston, and Eubanks will keep running into it. Now, there's a chance that Eubanks can land some bombs because Rosa does take shots, but I I think the short notice thing will be counteracted by the fact that Rosa is generally in great cardio shape and Eubanks slows down. And uh, I like Rosa to survive the bombs that Eubanks throws at her and to possibly even get top position here and there. So I'm there with you, Nick. That was going to be one of my next couple of picks. Obviously, we only have a couple left. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Ovin St. Pru to beat Alonzo Menifield. St. Pru is super experienced. He's got a great bomb flu choke, power on his hands, fast kicks. His speed and explosiveness for a 205 is great, right? The problem is that his conditioning is not reliable. His fight IQ isn't great, even though he has some craft to him. And he's got a mediocre camp. Uh, a lot of wear and tear on that guy. He's 37 years old. Menifield is a pressure fighter. He's got heavy hands. Finishing instinct is serious. Like He's got finished every one of his wins. He trains at Fortis MMA, but he's a 32-year-old prospect. He kind of started his career late, and his conditioning after the first round is pretty shoddy if you look at his last fight against Devin Clark. So he slows down and loses power, takes as many hits as he lands, but usually okay since he's got serious power. And he's not hasn't shown much grappling skill so far. I think St. Peru just needs to survive the first round and then he should take over uh from there he's got over two months to prepare for this fight versus just a few weeks for menifield uh osp loses to talented experienced opponents menifield is not experienced and his level of talent i think is still in question there's a chance that menifield just lands a bomb of course there's a reason it's one of our last two picks but i like uh osp here yeah there's <laughs> this is one of the two who the hell knows what's going to happen this is not a if you're looking at cards for fight iq you've got three of three of the most perplexing fighters in the UFC in in Eubanks, St. Prue and Pereira. Uh, Michelle and Pereira That's right. uh, on this card. So who the hell knows what's going to happen? Um 
I know I'm not that excited. I mean, I'm not thrilled about this card in general, but uh, that that should at least make it interesting. I guess for my last pick, is this a tiebreaker or a pick? This would be the picnic. There are only 10 fights on this one, so we, we will each have five picks. Okay, yep. Oof. Not. Th- I mean, not looking forward. I mean, you got a... Th- uh, 30-year-old against a 34-year-old, not really not really prospects. Um, I'm going to go with the Polish uh, judo fighter out, uh, um, uh, Bartosz Fabinski, a.k.a. the Butcher, um, to defeat Andre uh, Muniz, the, Bra- the Brazilian fighter. <laughs> this is not one where I did a lot of research. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> yeah, so this one is actually one where I, th- I think a lot of uh, pickers are agreeing with you about Fabinski. I ended up edging toward Munoz. I have this kind of idea that when you have a really good wrestler, right, who's fighting someone who's better at jiu-jitsu by a good margin, who's fighting someone who's better at standing up by a good margin, I don't tend to choose that really good wrestler in today's MMA. It's the same matchup to me as Damian Maya versus Ben Askren. Last year, you chose Ben Askren because you felt like he would be the better wrestler. In my opinion, Damian Maya was much better standing. He was much better on the ground, and he should be able to dominate for that reason. And that's exactly how that fight went. For that reason, I disagree with you. Uh, I would have been right if Askren was was who we thought Askren was. And it you would, would have been, been right if Askren had anything but wrestling, which we knew that. Well, no, because Jake, Jake Shields beat Damian Maya. Yeah, but Jake Shields is a much more crafty guy, and he beat a Damian Maya that didn't have very good striking. And Jake Shields' jiu-jitsu is actually competitive with yeah. Damian Maya's at the time. That's true. Uh, again, Askren, the only thing he had the advantage in was wrestling, period. That's it. Uh, Fabinski is the same thing. He's a top-position grappler. He's a grinder. He doesn't finish. He doesn't really ground and pound hard. He doesn't go for submissions. He just wrestles you down and then stalls, wins rounds that way. Uh, he throws big shots into the clinch and then kind of drags opponents down. Uh, Munoz has pheno- Muniz, excuse me, has phenomenal jiu-jitsu, decent southpaw striking game, not a great chin. He's been knocked out four times uh, in all four of his losses, excuse me. But he's 13 and 1 over the last 7 years. Munoz is taller, has better stand-up, better jiu-jitsu. Fabinski will land takedowns, but that'll only put him I think in more danger. Just judging by the way Muniz's guard works. Muniz should win this by submission since he's a great BJJ player, and Fabinski has lost by submission in two of his three losses, Nick. There's a chance Fabinski just lays Uh-oh. on him and holds on for a decision win, but I'm siding with the submission expert here. It could be It could be that my, that my lack of research into that particular fight assuming for whatever reason that you were going to pick it um is going to be what is going to be what uh triggers my downfall Uh, a lot of a lot of pickers are agreeing with you on this one nick because fabinski is coming off of a pretty big win over darren stewart he he's got a great record right like he's an experienced ufc fighter who has multiple wins in the ufc versus munoz who's only one to know there's a lot of look fabinski could avoid all those submissions because i think when he was submitted he was hurt first on the feet um and andre munoz has power but i don't expect it to to stay standing for very long uh i see this as a close fight fabinski could hold him down but i just I, i'm just gonna side with the guy who's sk- more skilled standing up and on the ground i think if you watch tape on this you would have come to the same conclusion but uh j- again back, going back to that uh, damian maya versus ben asker matchup this is a very similar matchup except both of these guys are you know a level down in all skill levels than those guys i would say but uh but yeah largely uh l- largely on the same page you and i disagree on the fabinski andre munoz fight we disagree on the Viviana Rujo Montana de la Rosa fight and we disagree on the Jalen Turner Tiago Moises fight I know we don't have extremely strong feelings on those but but those are the ones we ended up disagreeing on Nick I'm going to run through our picks quickly my first pick was Brian Kelliger second I took Alexander King Kong Romanov third Michelle Pereira 
fourth, Jalen Turner, fifth, Ovin St. Peru. Nick, I, I just realized that my last three picks are extremely unreliable, and I'm probably in trouble. Your first That's pick, okay. <laughs> your first pick was Hunter Azur. Second, you took Viviana Arujo. Your third pick was Alistair Overeem. Fourth, you took Carolina Rosa Cavedo. And fifth, finally, you took Bartos Fabinski to beat Andre Munoz. Nikolai. We're going to take a break. I'm going to come back and give these guys the MMA Geeks betting guide, which has signed huge profits. Last episode, Nikolai. Good show as always. Uh, we'll be talking next week. When uh, what's, what's, the next, uh, what's the next card? Next week, not only do we have Bellator 40, 245, which is headlined by Leota Machida and Phil Davis, Nick. Uh, it's oh, like Waterson, the UFC from five oh, years Angie ago. Oh, Angela Hill. Angela that's Hill right. in, a, in a main event. That's great. I am very uh, excited and, about oh, this. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Santos Teixeira got canceled. All right, my friend. I will talk to you next week. Also, you got Matafari in the co-main event, Nick. There's a lot to look forward to. We'll talk yeah. to you then, bud. Bye-bye. And I am back to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Now, last week, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, we did really, really well. We started off with a fresh start. I think I'm on a three-event profit streak now, but but we kind of started completely fresh. $300 budget, and we're going to see how much we can make of this. I put up 200 of those dollars on last week's event and ended up profiting $271 at the original 300 bucks that we had, and we're at $571. We've almost doubled our uh, initial stake here. Now, my last week's picks were simple. I had one prop bet and four parlay bets. My prop bet was Viviana to win by submission at plus 424. Those are insane odds against Whitmire, who Whitmire has only lost by submission. I thought this was such a gimme, and 12 bucks won me $51 on that one. As far as the parlays, I recommended a Rockish Grasso combination, $60 to win 51. That one came through, of course. Martin and Viana combination plus 198. Those two girls ended up doing really well in their bouts and finishing. $30 to win 59. And that's another $59 profit, of course. Ankalive and Cummings, $60 to win 98. Unfortunately, the Ankalive fight got canceled, so it ended up being just a straight bet on Cummings. He was right around plus 100, which means $60 to win $60 was the profit there. And then we've got Brady and Kasanganai. Brady was a huge favorite, but Kasanganai was a in a pick'em situation there $38 to win 50 and that one came through as well a total profit of $271 135% return on investment folks 35 40 50% return on investment is really good 135% is kind of unheard of it's extremely rare that it works out this way but it really did last week now this week i'm going to stick to the overall same strategy i realize that prop bets and parlays add a new element of risk but i like the much better odds that you get in those situations so we're going to stick with it i'm going to recommend three prop bets and then three parlay bets my first prop bet recommendation is michelle Pereira by knockout plus 195 
$20 to win 39. I already talked about how his opponent really is very mediocre and just is coming off a knockout against a guy who is not quite as explosive as Pereira. In fact, Pereira knocked out Danny Roberts when they fought a little bit ago. So I expect Pereira to come out with a knockout here at plus 195 odds. I recommend $20 to win 39 on Pereira by KO. Jalen Turner to win by knockout or TKO as well, plus 320 odds on that, $31 to win 100. His opponent sucks on the feet. He's a good grappler, but Jalen Turner is also a pretty solid grappler. Jalen Turner, when he loses, it's only by knockout. And I don't think that his opponent has the ability to knock him out at all. So 31 bucks to win 100 on Turner by KO. Mooney's inside the distance at plus 240. He's fighting Fabinski. I realize this one's particularly risky. Fabinski could very well win a boring, boring decision here. But I like Muniz's ability to submit guys. I like that Fabinski has been submitted in a couple of his losses. So plus 240 odds, $21 to win 50 on Muniz inside the distance. So I'm not getting as specific as a submission. I just expect him to take it inside the distance. After all, Muniz does hit hard, and Fabinski has shown kind of a rocky chin throughout his career. As far as the parlays, I recommend a parlay on Romanov and Pereira. Romanov, we've already spoken about in the last segment. I'm a big believer in the guy. He could be could be the Khabib of heavyweight. Super athletic, very explosive, very quick. He's going to be exhausted late if this, if this goes far, but his opponent is known for being exhausted late anyway. I like his odds of dominating here. And then Pereira, obviously we spoke about as well, plus 244 odds on these two guys in combination. $41 to win 100. I figure worst case, Pereira fight gets canceled or some funny stuff happens. Maybe it's a no contest and then Romanov becomes an individual bet in that case uh, instead of this parlay. Also recommend Romanov and Kelleher. $66 to win 100 bucks on those two guys. Kelleher's opponents really only got a right hand and Kelleher's has like six ways to win and Romanov, I expect him to dominate. My last parlay is going to be Ovince St. Preux and Carol Rosa. Rosa is fighting Eubanks who honestly kind of has an even record, who gets tired as the fight goes on, who is not going to handle pressure well because that's only going to make her tire quicker. So I like Carol Rosa, and obviously St. Prue is fighting Menefield, who looked pretty bad in that last fight. I know that he talked about the fact that apparently he didn't do his conditioning because he didn't take Devin Clark seriously, but I still like St. Prue's craft here, I think. All he has to do is survive the first round, and then he can pick up the win in the second or third round, probably by submission. So $36 to win 100 bucks on Carol Rosa and St. Prue. I figure worst case if St. Prue slips on a banana peel, gets knocked out or something, I lost $36, and it's not the worst thing. But if these two come through, we've got $100 profit on our hands. So the total amount of risk that we're taking for this event, if you're taking this journey with me, is $215. And we are at $571 in total. So worst case, if we do lose absolutely every penny, we're still ahead from where we started last week. That will do it for the bets. Now, we always end this show by going over next week's card, giving you a couple of the more notable fights on that one. Next week, we've got UFC Vegas 10, headlined by Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson. Unfortunately, it's going to be a three-rounder, I think, which, to be fair, is probably in Angela Hill's benefit. Unfortunately, we lost our big main event here, Glover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos, because Glover tested positive for COVID. This is actually fairly recent news. So, again, Watterson and Angela Hill are headlining next week's card. We've got Andrea Lee versus Roxanne Matafari. Solid goddamn top 10 fight at 125. Alan Patrick versus Bobby Green. Bobby Green has been streaking lately. 
Matt Schnell versus Tyson Nam. Schnell's really talented, not the best chin. Tyson Nam is not all that talented, but serious power. So that should be interesting. Uh, I, I would think a finish likely on one side or the other. Frank Camacho is coming back against Brock Weaver. I guess that's fine. Brian Barbarena against Anthony Ivey. I am interested in that fight. We've got Roosevelt Roberts going up against Matt Frivola. Fascinating matchup. Roberts, who's a prospect who stumbled against a couple of serious veterans, and Frivola is just a great pressure fighter. Really exciting guy to watch. And then we've got Sabina Mazo and Justine Keish, both really successful 125-pounders in the UFC, both prospects. And I think this fight will give us something to think about in the near future. Outside of that, Karma Worthy versus Otman Azater. Azater got a big knockout win in his UFC debut. And Karma Worthy, we all know, got a huge knockout win in his UFC debut as well as a big underdog against Devontae Smith, then went on to upset Luis Pena after that. So some interesting fights. Not a whole lot of names on this one, but I'm particularly excited about the Angela Hill-Michelle Waterson matchup, especially since there's a little bit of heat. Michelle Waterson, you know, talked about how Dana White's a great leader for supporting Donald Trump. And Angela Hill said that she looks forward to whooping that ass, and I, too, look forward to Angela Hill putting it on Michelle Waterson. Thanks for listening, folks. Looking forward to next week. 